0: Well, I'll take just a minute to say, to tell the joke that a young lady just told me. What do you call two witches that live together? Broom mates? I don't know. I know. like them, So, I'm in Ypsilanti. And if you've ever been to Ypsilanti, which I had never, it's spelled Y-P-S. It looks like Ypsilanti. So, I was saying Yip. It's not Yip. It's Yip. They just put an I. Sound there. So, just in case you go there. So, I'm in the comfort suites, get up, and it's just me in the, in which I was very surprised because it looked like they're full of people, but it was just me in the breakfast there that was free, and I had gotten some uh, bagel and some donuts and some stuff that was sitting there, and I was watching, uh, I was looking at the news, I was reading the news on my phone, and all of a sudden I heard this voice that said, Wow, you look really nice today. I was dressed up for church. And I thought, huh? Well, I wonder what that was. And I couldn't quite tell where it came from. So I looked up, and it was just me and the girl at the counter. And I looked at her to see if she had said anything. It sounded kind of like a girl's voice, and she hadn't said anything. So I thought, what, what is going on here? Well, so I went back to reading the news, and just a minute later, I heard something that sounded like coming kind of from her direction. I thought, it said, that is a really nice tie. It goes perfect with that shirt. And I thought, what is this? So I look up at her, and she's not even looking up. Like, she hasn't said anything. So a third time, I go back to reading my news, and I hear this voice say, man, your shoes are shined perfectly. You are super sharp this morning. I thought, what, this is it? So I I look up at her, and I say, hey, did you say anything to me? And she looks at me real funny. She said, no, I I haven't said anything. I said, well, I have heard some kind of voice, and you're the only one in this room. She said, well, what did it say? I said, well, it just said stuff like I look sharp, my tie is cool, my shoes are real. She said, oh, no, no. She said, that wasn't me. She said, said, that's the donuts. They're complimentary. Okay, all right. I really wasn't there in the comfort suite. And none of that happened, really. Work with me. Work with me. You know, that joke was complimentary. Free to you. All right. Well, as we continue, this is the quote that I gave to you earlier last night. No, I guess it was, it seems like last night. It was just this morning, wasn't it? Normally, I give that one on a Friday evening. In the beginning was matter which begot the amoeba, which begot the worm, the fish, the amphibian, the reptile, the lower mammal, the lemur, which begot the monkey, which begot the man, who imagined God. This is the genealogy of man. Now that's from 1928. I keep using that quote because it is still accurately representing what we are told about evolutionary history. That in the beginning there was this entity that somehow gave rise to life, violating not only the law of cause and effect, but then the law of biogenesis, life coming from previously existing life of its own kind, and then changing from one kind of life to the other kind of life. But, but that is what you expect from people who have said, I don't want to believe in God. I've got to come up with an idea that doesn't have God in it. That's what you expect from people that, like I said in our first lesson, have defined supernatural out of the discussion. They've said, okay, I'm not following the evidence where it leads. I'm following the evidence where it leads to a natural conclusion, to a materialistic explanation. And so that's what you would expect. But tragically, though you would expect it from an atheistic evolutionist, you would not expect it from somebody, somebody who claims to revere the Bible and believe in God and creation. But what we find is that all over the country, really, we have things like this. This is a poster in pictorial form of the single-cell amoeba that gives rise to the worm, the fish, the amphibian, the the reptile, the lower mammal, the lemur, the monkey, the man. This was from the wall of a... Christian school associated with the Lord's church. In pictorial form, representing exactly what Charles Smith in 1928 said was the evolution of man. And so here's what we run into. And everywhere I have been, every congregation I have spoken at, I have run into people who have struggled with this idea of, I love science, and I love the Bible, and I want them both to fit together. Hey, listen, I love science. I don't like evolutionary false interpretations on actual scientific fact. But lots of times when people say, I love science, what they mean is, I think evolutionary science is factual and I want to hold on to evolutionary science and I want to hold on to the Bible and so I'm going to try to shove the two of them together. What I want you to understand is you are not forced to choose between science and the Bible. The Bible makes a lot of really, really great and accurate and predictable and uh, correct scientific statements and never makes any unscientific ones does a proper reading of the Bible force you to understand that evolutionary, atheistic science interpretations on scientific fact are incorrect? Yes. But we're not talking about you get a choice between the Bible and science. We're talking about this is a discussion between actual factual science and what the Bible says. Those two will always correspond perfectly. But... What we get is people want to believe in evolutionary science, and they also want to believe in the Bible, and so they compromise. And we're dealing this session on creation compromises. What happens when a person tries to fit this kind of teaching into the Bible? When a person says, and I am just reading a book right now that is so tragically wrong, but she says, okay, everything about evolution is true and somehow you just need to take it and fit it into the Bible and believe in evolutionary science and believe the Bible and just make it all work together. The problem with that is the Bible doesn't allow you to do that. The Bible has a very straightforward statement as to how God did things, and it can't be the way this suggests things occurred. Let me just give you a quick example of that. Dinosaurs, we are told, were 220 million years ago and died out approximately 65 million years ago. But then there's a little bit of a caveat there. They basically say, okay, dinosaurs didn't really die out. They evolved into birds. So now they talk about dinosaurs, and they talk about non-avian dinosaurs, which are the kind that we talk about, Tyrannosaurus rex, etc. and avian dinosaurs, which is the red bird that comes to your bird feeder in the winter, and they basically say, okay, that red bird is a dinosaur. It just happens to be an avian one. So dinosaurs evolved into birds okay well the problem with this is as you look at this particular line up to humans you see that according to the bible on what day were birds created day five according to the bible on what day were all land living creatures created day six and so dinosaurs can't evolve into birds according to the biblical timeline if birds were created the day before them and even if you say the days are millions of years which you can't biblically and we're going to show that you still can't get the time frame to work for you. And so taking this idea of evolution and saying, okay, hey, I believe in evolution, but I just think God did it with evolution. Well, not only does evolution violate any number of biological rules, especially the law of biogenesis, it's not a factually scientific validated idea, and it doesn't fit the Bible at all. And what we're going to see is that that's the case. Now, this is Lucy. Lucy is supposed to be one of our ancient primate ancestors. Supposed to be about three million years ago. Supposed to be between human and primate. Now, that's what you would expect from an atheistic evolutionary teaching, but from another university associated with the Lord's Church, one of my colleagues, Eric Lyons, had a relative that was going to this particular university, and she was in a night class, and in that night class she was told that she was the product of evolutionary processes and that Lucy was her ancestor. And so in this class on cultural anthropology, she was told Lucy was one of her ancestors. Now, the fact of the matter is, as you look at Lucy, Lucy is probably not even a female. It's probably a male pygmy chimpanzee that had nothing whatsoever to do with human evolution because human evolution didn't actually ever occur. And humans were created in the image and likeness of God from the very beginning. And it was never a from the ground up. It was always humans started as the highest creation on the planet. Always. From the beginning. But that's what you'd expect from a person that doesn't believe in God and doesn't read the Bible. But it's not what you'd expect from a university that says we're going to teach Christian biblical ideas and principles. And yet, it's what you sometimes get as a person tries to say, well, I want to believe in evolutionary science, and I want to believe in the Bible, so I'm just going to shove them together. Well, when you shove them together, you do a whole lot of damage. And I'm going to show you what damage is done in this instance. I want you to read with me, students' perception of Earth's age influences the exception, acceptation, acceptance of human evolution. This is from Science Daily. And here's what they say, high school and college students who understand the geological age of the earth, 4.5 billion years, are much more likely to understand and accept human evolution. The role of earth's age is a key variable that we can use to improve education about evolution, which is important because it's the unifying principle of biology. Sometimes we at AP, we catch flack for saying, hey the Bible talks about creation in a very straightforward way. The millions and billions of years do not fit into it, and they're scientifically wrong anyway. So you don't need them. And many times we'll have people say, well, Kyle, why would you even deal with that? Why, not, why, why do you mess with it? Why don't you just leave that alone? Because it has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with Jesus. doesn't have anything to do with whether a person does to others, what they want done to them. Just leave that alone and do other stuff. But here's the issue. This is written from an atheistic standpoint. And they're saying, look, if we could just get kids to believe in billions of years, we can get them to believe in human evolution. We can get them to believe Lucy's their ancestor. We can get them to question that creation story that they read about in Genesis. If we can just get them to believe in billions of years. There's a very real connection between a compromise on the age of the earth and a destructive interpretation of the book of Genesis. Now, let me say, however, are there people that believe that the earth is billions of years old and try to fit evolution into the Bible that are faithful Christians that are going to heaven and that are doing great work in the Lord's church? Yes. Yes, I think there are. And I'm not trying to say that this is something that is a a situation where a person who believes this cannot be a... Nonetheless, that's what I'm trying to say. I'll tell you what I'm saying, though. There is a correct way to read the book of Genesis that precludes the option of millions of years and the current understanding how evolutionary, by evolutionary teaching is taught. And I think that's what you have to teach. And that is the most helpful and the only thing you can really defend, logically and reasonably. And that's why we teach it. So as you look at this idea you come to the realization that if evolution were true, if millions of years of processes brought us to where we are from single-celled organisms to now, and you go back to Genesis and Exodus, the narrative for creation, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. If God made everything in six days, then did He do it in millions or billions of years? Oh, no. He certainly did not do it in billions and billions of years. It says he did it in six days. Now, if you're going to try to get this to mean something other than six days, what do you have to do? Well, you have to alter the meaning. Oh, what did I do there? You have to alter the meaning of the word day. So you have to then say, okay, all right, if God used evolution, then. It took millions and billions of years because, hey, everybody recognizes everybody, if you don't have billions of years, you can't get things to evolve. The fact of the matter is it doesn't matter how much time you have. You still can't get it done. I mean, you can uh, you can, zap the fruit fly for the next 300 years with every type of radiation you want. It's never going to change anything other than fruit fly. It, the time factor doesn't really even matter. But everybody discusses and knows, even the evolutionists, everyone, that... If you don't have millions of years, you can't get evolution. And if everything's created in six days, you can't get evolution. And you can't make it fit in the Bible. So what do we do? Well, what has been done historically is the definition of the word day has been questioned. And they've said, well, maybe those days in the Bible are millions and millions of years. Okay, let's look at that. It would be real easy to figure that out. You say, well, how would it be? Well, just find what the definition of day is. And sometimes it's the opposite of night. I must work while it is day. The night's coming when no man can work, Jesus said. What did he mean? About a 12-hour, approximately 12-hour period when the sunlight is around. And night, he was just talking about, about a 12-hour period when it's dark. So the opposite of night. So that's not going to get you millions of years. What about a period of time in the future? The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Is that a 24-hour day? No, it just means some type of, of time in the future, unidentified. So that could be more than 24 hours. The total days of creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, this is the history of the creation on the day that it was created. The day that I do that will be the day that could... The day that I do that will be the day... Means something more than 24 hours, absolutely, positively. And then a literal day. So you come to this and you say, well, okay, we've got a bunch of different meanings of the word day. How do we ever know which one is which? But well, when you were in English, real simple, you always learned that the biggest way to tell what a word means is the context. So what does the word bear mean? B-E-A-R. That's a good question. Uh, let me ask you what it means in this sentence. Kelly Monahan and I are walking through the woods, and we look behind us and we see a very large bear. I sit down and take off my dress shoes and put on my tennis shoes. Kelly looks at me with consternation and says, Kyle, you can't outrun a bear. They can run 40 miles an hour. I say, I know, Kelly. I don't have to outrun a bear. I just have to outrun you. Now, what does the word bear mean in that context? A bear is a large mammal that is omnivorous, that has claws. Okay, now then, B-E-A-R sounds the same, spelled the same. The load of bricks was too heavy for the 5-year-old to bear Same word, B-E-A-R, but now what does it mean? Carry. And then you could also then go, and the emotional burden was too heavy for the young lady to bear. Now it's not even physically carrying a load of bricks. Now it's something else. So context has always been what you use to determine the meaning of a word. So when you look at the word day in the Bible, is there any contextual clue that helps you understand what the word day means? Oh, sure. You look at this. The words evening and morning are used together in the Old Testament with the word day over 100 times in non-prophetic literature. Each time it means a literal 24-hour day. You know, it's one thing to say there's coming a day. You don't say there's coming a day with an evening and morning when, because when you put evening and morning on it, what are you then defining a day as? Well, it's light for a little bit and it's dark for a little bit and it's a, period of recognizable time it's one thing to say back in my day we did this you never say back in my day there was an evening and a morning and we did this an evening and morning means a literal day now i'm going to tell you i'm not sure there might be another way in hebrew to qualify the word day to show you it means 24 hours maybe another one than moses used but he used almost every single one you could possibly use to show that it's a literal 24-hour day. Number one, he put an evening and a morning on it. And then, let's look at that next statement. If if a day was millions and millions of years and there was an evening and there was a morning, and then of course, you've got on day three, he creates the, the flowers in the grass. And much of those had to have sunlight or at least not even sunlight. Sunlight would be good. They they needed some kind of light to make food and live. If the morning was long periods of millions of years and the evening and darkness was long periods of millions of years, what would have happened to those plants that were created on day three? Dead. Now, what happens to those plants that are created on day three? And the next day, the sun, moon, and stars are placed in the firmament and you have that process beginning immediately on that next following day makes much better sense okay so this morning and evening show that the day is a literal 24-hour period now let's go to this next statement Genesis 1.14, then let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years okay if in Genesis chapter 1 a day is millions of years then what is a year well you would have no concept even of what a year Yes, there are in Genesis chapter 1:14, And yet the Bible says that they were already counting on day 4 days and years. What are we saying? It's real simple, really. The days in Genesis chapter 1 are 24 hours, but somebody will go to Second Peter 3 and they'll say, Yeah, but hold on a second. I mean, you know, look right there in Second Peter verses 3. But beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And we've had that verse used to say, so those days in Genesis could be a thousand years. Well, <laughs> you don't need a thousand years for those days. You know, we're told that the universe is 13.82 billion. You need two billion years per day. Oh, and just, just incidentally, this passage has not one thing to do with creation or the length of the days of creation. All this is saying is Jesus has promised to come back and he hasn't come back yet. And some of you are thinking that the promise of Jesus returning is less valuable now because it's been so long. And the context is just saying if Jesus made the promise that he's going to come back a thousand years ago or if he made the promise that he's going to come back a day ago, it's all the same to Jesus. It has nothing to do with the length of a day in the Old Testament. And here's what else I find very interesting. In this passage, two time periods are discussed. What does this passage tell you about God's ability to differentiate between a day and a year? Or a thousand years? In this passage, you have, for with the Lord one day. What does one day mean? One twenty-four hour period. is as a thousand years. What does a thousand years mean? A thousand, three hundred sixty-five point two four days, a uh, year. So God can tell you the difference between a day and a year if he wants to. All right, so this passage cannot be used to get Genesis... One, to talk about days that are a thousand years. And if you could get them to be a thousand, that wouldn't help you. You need them to be two billion. And then, as we continue with this, here's what I find very interesting. A day modified by a number. Now, we've failed to find a single example of the use of the word day in the entire scripture where it means anything other than a 24-hour period when a numeric adjective is added. Okay, somebody might say, Back in my day, we walked uphill both ways in the snow. Five miles each way for 27 miles. Okay, you might say back in my day. You never say two days ago and mean something other than two literal days. You never say three days ago. Well, what are you doing? Back three days ago, I used to walk up here. Okay, if you say back in my day, maybe you mean 20 years ago. If you say back three days ago, What do you now mean? Three literal days, always. Now, the scripture is just as clear when a numeric adjective is added to the word day. Everybody might say the day of the Lord. They might say in the day that they're created, but nobody says two days ago or three days ago. And yet in the creation, you have an evening and a morning, qualifying it as a 24-hour period, day one. An evening and morning, day two. An evening and morning, day three. What's being done? A numeric adjective added to the text so you can see it's being used, context clues, as a literal 24-hour period. Now, you then have the word yom, day, used over 700 times in the Old Testament And in non-prophetic literature, like Genesis or Exodus, it always means a literal period of time. Exodus chapter 20 says what? For in six, numeric adjective, days, plural. 700 times in non-prophetic literature, and there's not a single example ever in the entire Hebrew Bible where it means something other than literal days. 40 days. What's that mean? 40 literal 24-hour periods. Here's what I find so interesting about this. You don't get millions of years from the text of Genesis. You get it from outside the text, from an evolutionary time frame. And then we're told, yeah, but you somehow got to shove it into the text. Now in my mind, I picture it like Cinderella. I don't know if you guys remember the old... Cinderella cartoon movie, Disney movie. But there were the two stepsisters. One of them was very tall and had a very long foot. The other one had a very broad and big, thick foot. And maybe you remember when the prince had found the little glass slipper that Cinderella left there at 12, and the prince was going to find what maiden in his kingdom had the foot that would fit this slipper. And he comes to Cinderella's house, And she's locked up, and the stepsisters don't allow her to try to put her foot in the slipper. And I remember as a little kid watching, I just think it was so funny to see that little glass slipper when the tall, real thin sister tried to put her foot in the slipper. I don't know if you remember that scene, but she puts her toe in, and it doesn't fit, and then she smushes her foot up real big, and she puts her heel in, and it causes her foot to pop up in the middle. And it's just a, a funny, humorous scene to me to see that foot try to fit in. Now, as a little kid, and I don't know if you thought this, but I thought, no way that glass slipper can handle that pressure. That's breaking. That, that thing is about to break, especially when the next sister comes in and she got that big, big foot and she tries to slide it in sideways and, and it's just all rolling up out of the slipper. I thought, that slipper is broken by now for sure. You just don't shove one of those feet in that glass slipper. It didn't belong, it's not made for that. Well what I see happening is this evolutionary time frame that the Bible certainly doesn't need and that doesn't really correspond with real science or biblical proper interpretation. Just grabbing it and saying, yeah, but you've got to take science, meaning evolutionary science, and you've just got to fit it into the text, no matter, it's got to fit. And it, it just doesn't fit. And what I'd like to suggest is you have to make a choice. You can't fit the evolutionary millions of years time frame into a proper reading of Genesis. Now let me ask you this. Since when have you ever thought that a proper belief and understanding of the Bible was going to fit with what most atheists think? You know, basically we're kind of told, hey, no, you've got to fit your model of of biblical interpretation in with all of these atheists who are telling you that this is the real science. And if you really buy into proper science, you'll believe what this group of unbelievers believes. And if you don't, then you're ignorant and you haven't really... Okay, never has proper biblical interpretation been, uh, been commanded or done by the atheistic aspects of society and yet somehow we're told that if we're going to really believe in science, we've got to adjust the Bible reading to fit what the atheistic community tells us is real science. And that's just false. It's never been true. But now also, let, let me tell you this, and I'm just going to be straightforward. If you truly believe what the Bible says about creation, you will not fit in with a bulk of the most intelligent people in this world. Now, let me repeat it. If you really understand and believe what the Bible really teaches, you will not, your, your beliefs will not correspond to what the bulk of Ph.D. atheistic evolutionary scientists teach. Now, you will find many that actually believe the truth, we deal with people on a regular basis that are as credentialed or more than anybody out there and they will say, yes, we believe in a creation and we believe that the the actual physical science of it allows for it and the biblical interpretation shows that it is a literal creation a few thousand years ago in six literal 24 days, but it will not be the popular belief. And, and when has Christianity ever been the popular belief? When have we ever said, oh you know what, we need to see what the politicians are saying is the right thing to do with unborn children and then adjust the Bible to that interpretation. We need to see what the atheistic scientific community is saying is the right way to view humanity and then adjust the Bible to fit with that interpretation. That's not how you do it because that's not, it's not accurate and it's not what the Bible teaches and it's not really what real science shows you. So as you look at this, Here's the truth of the matter. And I think it's, it's the most straightforward that can be understood. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 9, 10 and 11, what's being said to the Israelites? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Why? Why remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. And on the seventh day ceased his creative activity. Now, just as a little caveat here, sometimes as a little kid, you hear that God rested on the seventh day, and you think, bet he was tired, worn out after a week of creation, kind of approaching it like the weekend, and he's getting rejuvenated and rested. Okay, that word rested has nothing to do with God being tired. It is similar to our word arrested, which just simply means you stop something. And so when the text says, and God rested on the seventh day, all that means is God stopped his creative activity on day seven. Now, ask this real simple question. Could God have created the world in six billion years if he wanted? Absolutely. No problem. And i got no problem with that. If you want to do it that way, great. Could he have done it in six seconds if he wanted? He's all powerful. He could have done it in six seconds. So why do you think he did it in six days? He tells you. He tells you exactly why he did it in six days. Do you know that if you take this seven-day work week idea, six days you shall work, on the seventh day God stopped his work so you stop working, how did the Jews understand the six days of creation to correspond to their six days of work? For six long periods of millions of years you work and one long period of millions of years you rest. They understood that six literal 24-hour days they worked, and one literal 24-hour day they rested, and God could have created the world in any amount of time that He wanted, but He says He did it in six days, qualified that with an evening and a morning, used a numeric adjective, put it right there in the context of it being a day, and then tells you why to make a pattern for the week. What's the reason we have a 24-hour day? That's real simple. you got the earth on its axis, 23 and a half degrees. It spins. One complete rotation is a day. What's the reason you have a 365.24 day year? The, sun starts, the earth starts here, the sun's here. One time that the earth gets all the way around the sun is one year. What's the reason you have a seven-day week? The natural corresponding time frame reason. A moon cycle doesn't do it no spin cycle, no earth cycle, and yet for the entirety of human history, we have had a seven-day week, and there's not a single naturalistic explanation for it. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore you work for six days, and you rest one day. God gave you a pattern of a work week from creation that has been the pattern since creation. Some people have tried to change it. If I understand it, at one point in time, in, I think it was Russia back, way back, they tried to change to an eight day or a 10 day without success, back to a seven day now. And there's no naturalistic explanation for that. Could God have done it in six minutes, six seconds, six nanoseconds, six picoseconds, yeah. Six billion years, yeah. You're not limiting God when you say, he said he did it in six literal 24 hour days, and that's when he did it. Makes perfect sense. And if that's true, then that billions-of-year time frame just simply cannot correspond to what we read in the Bible. Now, as you continue with this, I want you to see how destructive this can be when an atheist analyzes the situation. This is a guy by the name of David Mills. He wrote a book titled The Atheist Universe. And he says, if Earth's history began with Creation Week... And if Genesis provides an accurate historical record, then earth had no prehistoric eras, eras, no prehistoric peoples and no prehistoric animals. Dinosaurs walked the earth only a few thousand years ago side by side with modern human. Okay, it's exactly right. You didn't have cavemen moving up to humans, you didn't have precursors to humans like Lucy, you had a Modern creation of humans with no primate precursors and dinosaurs and humans walked on the planet together. Okay, exactly right. So this is an atheist assessing what the Bible teaches about creation. Okay, all right. Now watch what he says. In seeming anticipation and preemptive rebuttal of the day-age theory, however, the book of Genesis itself provides a clear and specific definition of creation week. The evening and the morning were a day, a literal 24-hour day. A 6,000-year-old earth means, therefore, that Genesis and the theory of evolution are forever irreconcilable. Now, he's right. Genesis and the theory of evolution are forever irreconcilable. Now, what should you do then? Okay, Genesis actually corresponds with what we know to be scientific fact. And the Bible can be proven to be the inspired Word of God that has no mistakes. And so you should then arrive on the side of Genesis. Unfortunately, what does he do? Well, he jumps over to evolution and says, Ha! Because we know evolution is true, Genesis can't be. Well, he's wrong. Evolution certainly isn't true. But what he does show is you can't have both. It's one or the other. He says... Citing the day-age theory, these great pretenders make believe that Genesis actually describes an ancient earth. The purpose of this pompous intellectual charade is to allow the great pretenders to have it both ways, imagining themselves to be both religious and scientific at the same time. Now, here's what I would like to, to state. Both religious and scientific. No, no, no. Change that to both religious and evolutionary because... Real science corresponds perfectly with what we know of a recent creation. I was just reading a book by a lady who says, "Now, all evolutionary science is true, and the Bible is true, but you just got to adjust the Bible, and it doesn't really mean what you think it means, so shove it all in. And she said, she made this thing. She said, all of the dating methods we know show that the earth is old. That's what you would get from most of the stuff you've read. But did you know out of the 75 different dating methods, probably 35 or 40 of them show that the earth is very young in thousands, sometimes even hundreds of years? Now, we know those hundreds of years can't be accurate, but from a naturalistic standpoint, if you took 75 different dating methods, 35 to 40 of them would give you a young earth, but you don't hear about those. Because we are told, hey, those can't be true because we know the earth is millions of years old. And so you hear about the three or four or five that give you billions of years, but you don't hear about the other ones and we're told those aren't scientific because why? Because they don't fit the evolutionary scientific idea. And that evolutionary materialistic scientific idea just isn't true. Now, the next aspect of this is, according to the Bible, when were humans put on the earth? Now that statement's real straightforward. As you look at this idea of when the Bible says humans were put on the planet, Jesus said from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Okay, so you're looking at from the beginning of creation. Now, according to the atheistic or just, let's just say the evolutionary model right now, the Big Bang model, if the Big Bang started right here at 13.82 billion years ago, right here, and my wingspan here, my arm span, is the totality of 13.82 billion years. Do you know when humans arrived on the planet according to this Big Bang evolutionary model? Okay, this is the beginning. You go all the way this way. Okay, so now you might about 12 billion, 11 billion, 10 billion. To, to modern times... Humans arrived on the planet, according to the evolutionary idea, at the tip of my middle finger, fingernail. So humans are separated from the beginning by 13.819 billion years. According to the Bible, when does it say that humans were put here on the planet? From the beginning of creation. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, basically you're missing the point of creation if you think that humans are a latecomer to the scene. From the beginning of creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made. From the beginning of creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. By who? If 13.819 billion years ago was going on, before humans got here, who was seeing God's creation from the beginning? You can see what the problem is there, can't you? So as we look at this, here's what we know. The Earth is exactly five days older than humans. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad that all of you have come. We have now discovered the age of the Earth, and my job here is done. Kyle, okay, that's not all that helpful. Five days older than humans. They were here from the beginning. We, humanity, was here from the very beginning. Okay, so about what does that give you? About how old is the earth? You know, you can get a pretty decent idea about how old the earth is when you start looking at the age of mankind. From us to Jesus has been about how long? Pretty simple, 2,000 years. From Jesus to Abraham, about how long? There again, secular history, everybody. This is not even disputed. From Jesus to Abraham, 2,000 years. Abraham was around in about 2,000 B.C. So now we just need back from Abraham to Adam. Okay, from Jesus to Abraham, is was about 55 generations, gave you about 2,000 years. You know, you can go to Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 11, and the Bible says, now Adam was this old when he had his son, Seth, and Seth was this old when he had his son. And you get from Abraham to Adam... 20 generations, and do you know approximately how many years you have there? Right at 2,000. The earth is approximately 2,000 years old. Now, if you say that with a straight face to most people who believe in evolutionary scientific teaching, they will say you are ridiculous, that is the most absurd, false inaccurate, unscientific, hair-brained, faith-based statement I've ever heard in my life. And they'll give you all of these dating methods that prove that there are billions and billions of years old. Now, here's what I find interesting. I, I don't have time to go into the technicalities of them. We have a book back on the table called Flooded that does that for you. Here's what I find so very interesting. I was accosted by a man on the Internet. We put out a bunch of videos, and I all the time get feedback from these videos. Lots of times it's, you guys are idiots, join the 21st century, quit brainwashing our kids. Lots of times it's stuff that I can't repeat in public, Uh, very, very harsh statements. But this guy basically said, hey, everybody knows, anybody with any sense, any type of scientific background, everybody knows that these dating methods prove that there are billions and billions of years. So here's what basically was suggested. Okay, go to the rocks that you know how old they are and see if they work. So you go to a volcanic rock in Hawaii. You know the volcanic island was created 200 years ago. You take the rock. You know for a fact that the rock is 200 years old. You know it for a fact. You use these dating methods on it, and it gives you anywhere from the range of 9 million to 300 million years. And the guy said, well, yeah, I mean, the dating methods don't really work for the young stuff. But they do the older stuff. Okay, let me me translate that. They don't work for what we know. When we know the age of the rock, it doesn't work. But every time we don't know it, it always works. You see the problem with that? You know, one of the gentlemen this afternoon just made a statement and put it in a way that I felt like was so clear that I had not heard it stated that way. They start with what they want to be the case and then figure out a calculation that'll get them there moving backwards. I find it so interesting that if you want to get a date from one of these rocks, you can't take it to a laboratory and say, please date this for me. You have to tell them where you found it and how would you think it is. And then and only then will they then date it for you. And we've had any number of people from the creation camp date using the dating methods any number of rock samples that have given us ages in the hundreds or thousands, but they were immediately dismissed because they did not correspond to the dates that we're told have to be true. Otherwise, evolution wouldn't be. I'll tell you one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Dr. Michael Houts is the professor, well, the the guy with the Ph.D. that writes for us some. He and I were scheduled to be on a an event at, in Starkville at Mississippi State. And it was an event that was sponsored by the Christian Student Center there and the local atheistic organization let out that evening to come and be involved in the event to listen and ask questions. And Dr. Houts is one of those people that thinks smart. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You know how some people use big words because they're trying to impress you. And some people use big words because you can tell that's what they think. That's how the words process in their mind. You know, I'm fairly educated, but sit with Dr. Houts and about every three sentences have to raise my hand and say, Mike, can you define what you just said for me? And I say, oh yeah, sorry, and then he'll put it in, you know, a little bit lower. And very humble man, one of the kindest responders to any question you'll ever see. But we were there at Starkville, we opened it up for question and answers, and I had delivered some existence of God stuff. His was more technical information about age of the earth and the dating methods, etc. And so one atheist raised his hand and he said, Well, what about all these dating methods? Don't we know for a fact that the universe is 13.8 billion years old and that these rocks on planet earth are 4.8 billion years old? Don't we know this for a fact? and my couch said, you know, that's a really great question and went in to the technical refutation of the dating methods that was so thorough. I was just fascinated to sit and watch it. And then in a very humble way and said, and that's how we can understand that these don't prove an old earth. And the atheist was sitting there listening and all he could do was say, okay, thank you. And sat down. The idea that somehow we have actual nailed down evidence that beyond a shadow of a doubt proves that there are millions of... that's not true. And what happens is many times our young people are shown these dating methods that are said to prove this, but don't look at these because they don't agree with what we say. Now, I believe David Mills was exactly right. A proper reading of Genesis chapter 1 precludes the idea of believing that a single-celled amoeba evolved over millions of years into a human. And I believe that if you look at what Jesus Christ taught and the New Testament writers taught about the flood and about the days of creation, you will absolutely land... On a proper understanding and reading of the book of Genesis and that is simply the fact that in the beginning God created, started the creating event that ended six literal 24-hour days later and from that time until now human history has been going in a way that corresponds to an understanding of the biblical record. I don't think you should be ashamed of that. I think it's absolutely perfectly scientific. And it is an honest dealing with the text. And I believe that you'll see that that's how Jesus approached the Old Testament. And that's how he understood the Old Testament to have been written. And if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be Christians, people who follow Jesus, I think we should view the biblical text as he did. And be unashamed of saying, In six days the Lord created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. And sometime after that, there was a flood that destroyed the entire world. And only eight people were saved. And the Bible also talks about, because of that reality, that the world that then existed perished, and there is also now God who is holding this world until the end of it. And when Jesus Christ comes in flaming fire, the entire world is going to be destroyed, just exactly like it was destroyed by water. And the scope of the flood is the same as the scope of Jesus' return, the universal scope of it. And I believe that you can stand firmly on the biblical text and say, I believe what Jesus believed, and I believe that God, in the beginning, created... And that creation was very understandable from the text of Genesis. So, we're done. It's been a busy day today. You guys have listened better than I would have, I believe. I mean, a good 55% of you stayed awake the whole time. It was awesome. Hey, and if you get more than 50, then you're doing great. So that meant, No, I'm just kidding. You guys were so kind and generous to me as a listening audience want to thank you so much for being here. Can't tell you how much I appreciate your attendance here. Can't tell you how much I appreciate the eldership for what you guys are doing with your forethought of having this type of event. If you were a part of the advertising and getting this out into your community, thank you so very much. That was very obvious in your preparation and several of the people that I talked to Today, we're not from here. They were from other congregations in the community, etc. And so I commend you for that and just want you to know that I am so grateful that congregations of the Lord's people care enough about the truth and enough about creation and enough about their young people and the health of their congregation to have events like this. And I really appreciate getting to be a part of this event with you. Thank you.